One. One, two. Check me out right here, yo. Yo, the sun don't shine forever, but as long as it's here, then we might as well shine together. Better now than never. Business before pleasure. P. Diddy and the fam. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm going to welcome you to yet another episode of the Unpopular Podcast. This is your boy, Jalen. And today we have a very important and special episode. A lot of times we don't talk about mental health when it comes to athletes, when we come to when it comes to sports figures, when it comes to schools dealing with mental health of the athletes. And today I wanted to have this very serious conversation with a expert, a sports therapist, and she is going to or she helps uh, helps me understand just how important mental health is to athletes for athletes and how people from the outside looking in can help uh but before we get to that let's talk about what a superstar is you know a lot of people well let me let me say this first the nba playoffs are going on and you know we've seen some incredible we've seen We've seen some incredible play from incredible people. We've seen some teams that I didn't ex- we did, we've seen some things that are unexpected. We've seen some things that kind of are expected. And we're going to we're going to talk about it a little bit. But again, let's first talk about what is a superstar. To me, a superstar is somebody that you know what you're getting night after night and you know that what you are getting is the best of the best. Like, you know, they are going to have a predominant impact on the game. And when I look at superstars, like, there's not a lot. There's a lot of great players. Don't get me wrong. The NBA is full of great, great players. And there's a lot of stars. There's a lot of all-stars. There's a lot of stars. But there aren't a lot of superstars. I feel, you know, a superstar isn't somebody that they can just bloom after a season, or after a good run, or after a bubble uh, bubble explosion. If that's the case, then T.J. Warren would be a superstar. But I th- or 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 uh, Devin Booker would be a superstar. I think he's an all star. I think he's a star, but superstar, I don't think so. A superstar to me is someone that has a predominant impact on the game, whether they're in the game or not. You see, for instance, let's talk about let's talk about LeBron. LeBron, of course, we know is a superstar. LeBron James has an impact both on and off the floor. When he is on the floor, of course, he is arguably the best player in the world, arguably best player of all time. It's it's, it's nearly impossible to stop him. That's LeBron James. We know who LeBron James is. Off the floor, teams scheme, teams like, oh, my gosh, that's a relief. LeBron James is off the floor. That is the type of energy that superstars warrant you know i'm not going to say all the superstars but some superstars that come to mind is i don't know steph curry uh kd Kawhi leonard Giannis, uh lebron i'm sure there's more but those are superstars in my opinion and why did i start with this because i'm hearing a lot of people say luka Doncic is a superstar 
after what we've seen in the bubble, after what we've seen a little bit before the bubble, after what we've seen in his what two years of playing, a lot of people or two years of playing NBA ball, let's say that a lot of people are saying that Luca is a superstar. And in my opinion, he's not that yet. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Luka Doncic is an incredible, incredible player. He is most definitely a star. He is like he's the type of person that can control the game. He's the type of person that, as we saw, what two days ago, the game winner. He's the type of person that can sway how a team plays or how your team plays because he's on that game. But do I think he's a superstar? No, and I'm gonna tell you why. Luka Doncic still. There's things that Luka Doncic does that, to me, one doesn't warrant a superstar status. For instance, he's still two years in. Now, of course, hell, two years in, LeBron James wasn't a superstar. I think it was maybe year three and four when he started taking off. But LeBron James was a star. Don't get me wrong. And LeBron James was a great player first two years, but he wasn't a superstar. KD wasn't super. There, there was. There's not a. There was not a person in the NBA except maybe Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that was a superstar, or, or Magic Johnson maybe that was a superstar. Hell, Michael Jordan wasn't a superstar after those first two years. He was incredible, but he wasn't a superstar. Luka Doncic still has areas to grow in his game. He's, you know, even though we saw the clutch shot, Luka Doncic makes tough decisions or or head scratching decisions in the clutch. Time after time again, Luka Doncic, uh, he does sort of have a turnover problem. Like, Luka Doncic still, and I'm not saying that a superstar is a perfect player because LeBron James has problems, Steph has problems, KD has problems, everyone has problems. But let me, I'm going to just say, hold on. It's, let's, let's not be quick to crown Luka a superstar. Is he good? Yes. Is Luka a top, I don't know five or ten guard in the league of course I, I i can't i can't i can't take what we've seen and not consider him a top guard in the league but do i think that he is a superstar not yet and don't get me wrong that's not a detriment or that's not a slight against luca that's not a slight against luca at all luca Doncic is incredible <laughs> like when I, the man's dropping 43, 17, and 13. And, and he can get that on night, any given night. Like, Luka, and he did it on a bum knee or a bum ankle. Luka Doncic is incredible. I'm a, I'm a fan, of course. But let's slow down on the superstar talk. And I know it, it's, it's just early, man. It's just early. But again, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not, down i'm not downplaying luca and i'm not saying luca's not incredible i'm just saying slow down on the superstar status and let's go on the flip side of that since we're kind of talking about the playoffs let me let me come in here let me let me talk about playoff p let me talk about paul george you know i was quick i i called him a superstar you know i called him a superstar because of what he was doing in indiana what he did, you know, finishing third in MVP vote in OKC, and what he's done in the regular season for, well, regular season when he's been playing for LA, as in the Clippers. But to me, it's more than just a regular season. It's more than just 
being incredible when the games sort of don't count. It's it's different for me if you are a player that goes from incredible to okay in the playoffs. While I don't think you'd be a superstar, you you know, I get it. the playoffs are harder, the physicality goes up. It's just tougher in the playoffs, you know. They offici- they officiate differently. I get it. It'd be different if you were a player that's going from okay to just average. I get that. You know, again, it's it's tougher. You're not a superstar, but it's tougher. But Paul George goes from incredible in the regular season to damn near why are you on the floor? Now again, I'm not saying he doesn't he's not gonna hell the game tonight he can be incredible. I don't know. But what I'm saying is I've cr- I've crowned Paul George a superstar, but he's shown me time and time again in the playoffs that he is just a star. He's just an all-star. He's just a good player. He's just a player. Not let me just say not just a good player. He's an incredible player, but he's not a superstar. Cuz superstars don't regress that that bad in the playoffs. I've never seen in fact we we've never seen numbers like he's putting up since what? What they say like 1960s or something. Paul George is not a superstar. I and don't get me wrong. I'm I like Paul George's game in the regular season, but we have to see more. There's there's multiple times where Paul George and don't get me wrong. Paul George has had incredible playoff games. Do not do not hear me say he hasn't. Paul George has had some incredible playoff games, but he's also had playoff games where it's just like he has nine points in his two minutes left in a game like. That, that we've seen that too much for Paul George, and I can't, I can't really, you know, I can't, I can't put my finger on it. You know, it's like this. You know, a lot of people say that it's challenging, right, going to a new team and being the second fiddle. Some people say it's challenging when you're all when you've always been the man. But then you have to go to another team with a person that's better than you, and you have to regress. We heard that with the Miami Heat when Dwayne Wade started playing, or when LeBron James came over, and D Wade had to recognize that you know, boom, I'm not the best player on this team anymore. So let me let me regress. Let me do what's best for the team. We saw that with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. It wasn't challenging. But a lot of people would ask Curry, hey, Curry, this is your team. What's going on? And we saw that the questions were kind of getting to KD. It wasn't getting to Steph, but it was getting to KD. Like, it's it's tough, right? This, you know, it's, it's when we, when we, when we first heard about the Paul George and Kawhi Leonard pairing, I was like, you know what, that. You know, you have a super, you have a, I was calling them both a superstar, but you have one star that doesn't need the ball, but can still dominate. Then you have one that, that they really both don't need the ball to dominate the floor. And when they both can get their own. But what I'm seeing, especially in this playoffs is Paul George is not showing up and Kawhi Leonard is. And until then, you know, the series, which is the Clippers and the Mavericks series, is tied up at 2-2. 
I thought it was, I didn't think it was going to be that close of a series, seeing as though Montrezl Harrell was coming back, Lou Williams was coming around the form. I thought, I didn't know that, you know, Patrick Beverly was going to miss time. And I thought that they were just going to fire on all cylinders. Paul George with, you know, what what we saw from Paul George in the regular season, I thought that was going to carry over into the playoffs. Any hell, what we saw in Paul George with the playing games, I thought that that was good. Or the eight games, you know, I thought that that was going to um, spill over to the playoffs. That has not been the case. But, you know, that series has is, is tied up at 2-2. We'll see what happens tonight. They do play tonight. But Luka's been incredible. Uh, Porzingis, he did miss last game. But that clearly didn't matter, which Luka hit in the game or the shot of all shots. Uh, it, it feels like almost <laughs> it feels like everybody from Dallas has played incredible, and everybody from Clippers except for Kawhi and Luke Williams has played, and Montrezl Harrell for for a little bit has played bad. So you know, it's that's just something to something to 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 look up to. Put on my put on my G curse hat, <laughs> but. Yeah, man, that series has been in has been interesting to watch, and you know, I, I'm I'm I think that have been that has been the best series that has been the best series in terms of competitiveness that we've seen. Um, it, it's been exciting, you know. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, let's let's move on. Another good series has been the Clipper. No, the Rockets and the. What in the world? Rockets and Thunder. Rockets and Thunder. My fault. I'm tripping, y'all. I'm tripping. Rockets and Thunder. Let's talk about value real quick, right? We know how good Russell Westbrook is. We know how dynamic of a player he is. But different people are valued differently in different teams in different situations. And I say that to say, can the Rockets win without Westbrook? This series, yes. I think the Thunder is a very scrappy team. I think last or yesterday they came back from, what, like 20 down or 15 down. They can definitely win, but but the Rockets are still the Rockets. They still have James Harden. They still have the best player on the floor. They're good. I don't think Russell Westbrook is that valuable for this series. We know the Rockets like to shoot threes. He doesn't shoot. He's not good at shooting threes at all. He's not valuable for the team right now, in my opinion. I think he's important, but I think that the Rockets can still win without Paul, I mean, without Russell Westbrook this series. When does Russell Westbrook start, his value start going up for this team? In the next round, when they'll probably face the Lakers. That is when his value will skyrocket for the Rockets. One, because I don't, as incredible and as great as James Harden is, I don't see James Harden beating a LeBron James, Anthony Davis-led team by himself. P.J. Tucker's good. No, he's not. He's no. Daniel House is good. No. Robert Covington, no. Who else? Austin Rivers, definitely not. I just don't. See, that's when you're going to need. Like, look at, this, look at the series we're seeing. The... The the Portland just got destroyed last night, right? Portland got destroyed. Damian Lillard got injured. 
Portland is getting destroyed, and they have the best two guards. And we know what's we know the 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 problem for the Lakers is their guard play. Their guard play is horrendous. Hell, they got they destroyed Portland last night, but Alex Caruso ain't getting it done. We had a Quinn Cook sighting last night. Rondo's supposed to be coming back soon. We don't know. But it's 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 uh, no. And they've been struggling with Dame and CJ. Don't get me wrong. Dame and CJ is incredible. Don't, 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 don't not hear me say that. But there's a difference between Dame and CJ and Russell Westbrook and James Harden. See, the thing about Dame and CJ, right? Dame and CJ will destroy you from mid-range and in three-point line. Like they'll they'll destroy you, they'll break you down, bing bong boom, do what they gotta do, hit the shot, you're good. Keep it moving. We're good. The thing about Russell Westbrook and James Harden is they can hit you different. Russell Westbrook can attack time and time again. He can kill you from mid-range. We all know that free throw line uh, stop and pop that he likes to do. James Harden can get to the line at will. He can kill you from from three-point line because you know he ain't going mid-range. And he is a bigger body than James, I mean, than Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. So, in fact, they're both bigger bodies than Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. So, it's just going to be... It's going to be, it's going to be a bind. <laughs> it's going to be a struggle for the Lakers. But that's that's when I'm talking about value. Goes back to the point. Russell Westbrook is not to me not as valuable in this series to Houston than he would be in the series in the next series in the what uh, semifinals with uh, going against the Lakers. Because don't get me wrong, I mean. <laughs> I love Dame. I love CJ. I like Portland as a story, but it's this is about over with. So I, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. But like I said, that's the value. Um, the series OKC and Houston is tied up at two two. So I, again, I I think that I I, I believe James you know James Harden and them is going to push through. I believe Russell Westbrook should be coming sometime soon, but. You know, I got Houston winning that one. Um, a surprise series has been dim- now again. I'm not going to talk about all the series. Like I don't, I don't need to talk about uh, <laughs> Toronto and 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 Brooklyn, even though Toronto sweeped. I don't need to talk about that. But one series that has surprised me, and that has been to me probably the second most enjoyable series, has been Denver and Utah. Donovan Mitchell has come. Firing on all cylinders. I didn't think Donovan Mitchell was this good. I I saw Donovan Mitchell play at Louisville, and I didn't think he was this good. I saw uh, Jamal Murray play at Kentucky, and I didn't think he was this good. You know, Donovan Mitchell dropping fifty point, multiple fifty point games. Uh, <laughs> John Jamal Murray is is hitting. You know, he's hitting fifties. Like that has been. I did not think. I thought Denver was going to win this series, and they still could. But being down 3-1, it's not looking good. I didn't think in in the slightest that they would be down, what, 3-1 in a series. I didn't see that coming. So, but, you know, Denver, you know, I mean, Utah is playing incredible. Donovan Mitchell's played good. Uh, Royce Young is playing good. Rudy Gobert has played incredible. It's, you know, that's. Yeah, I haven't, you know, that's, hey. 
well, you know, I don't need to talk about Orlando and um, I don't need to talk about Orlando and uh, Milwaukee. One thing I will say is Chris Middleton has been struggling. <laughs> and when I say struggling, he has been struggling. Now, he did have a good game, what, a game ago or two. He had like 17 and like 10 or something, but he's he's been struggling, man. Um, I don't really need to talk about Heat and Pacers. That was a sweep. I do say this. I will say this. I think that what we'll go into the next round predictions, you know, maybe another episode, but I do think that the Heat and Milwaukee series will be very, very interesting and very important. So there's that. Let's talk about let's one thing I one one thing I do want to talk about is um we got a couple sweeps. <laughs> we got you know, Miami sweeped uh, Indiana. Now, Indiana was riddled with a lot of injuries, but Miami sweeped Indiana. We saw, uh, you know, let's let's just talk about the biggest sweep, you know, because we, again, we saw some sweeps. Here's the thing. We've been talking, I've been talking time and time and time again that Ben Simmons and Joel and B do not work together. I'm not going to I'm not going to continue to talk about that right now. I'm not going to elongate this episode to talk about that. Just go listen to past episodes. Hell, go listen to my last episode with my man Mike. We talked about it. And we knew that Brett Brown was getting fired. He got fired yesterday. I don't think he's a bad coach and I don't think that he was all the problems for Philly. I do think that he did bear some pro like he did bear some of the of the uh blame for what's going on in Philly but I don't think he was he was the whole thing I do think he'll probably get I don't know if it's going to be a head coach right now but I do think he will get a job again because he you know he's not he's not a terrible coach I just think that he just lost the locker room like he didn't you know they didn't listen to him but one thing I will say is this <sighs> Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons don't work together. We talked about it. And I hear a lot of reports. It's it's a lot. Look, it's a lot more than just Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But, you know, when you're – there's a lot wrong with Philly. Let's just say that. You know, when you have Tobias Harris making superstar money, when you have Al Horford, at not only at his age, but at his skill set – making superstar money, when you give up Jimmy Butler, when you give up all your shooting in J.J. Redick to get it big. Like, it's just, yes, firing Brett Brown helps a little bit, but it doesn't solve the problems. It's putting a Band-Aid on a broken leg. It just, it doesn't solve anything. As far as, until... You make some serious decisions about the personnel on the floor, you know it's it's it's, it's not going to change, man. I, you know, I I don't I don't I don't see it changing until I don't I don't see it changing until either you break up Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. I don't see it changing until you hire the right coach. I don't see it changed until you figure out who hands the money and who gets the money because. Nowhere in the history of basketball should Tobias Harris be making more money than some player that he's making more money than. And nowhere in the history of basketball should Al Horford at his age and his position 
for that team should be making as much as he's making. No way in heaven or hell. But, hey, that's how it's going. Until you, you rectify that, it's just going to be – like, think about it. Before the season, I had them – I think one of my dark horses was Philly to win it all because they had the size. They had Joel Embiid. They had Ben Simmons. I thought that they could do it, but I didn't I, – I was – I was – I was – I didn't think with my eyes. I thought with my heart. <laughs> and as we've seen, you know, ah oh man, it's just you know that's just that's just how it is, man. That's, whew, that's that's a bind, man. That's there's a lot wrong with Philly. There's a lot wrong with Philly. And until you really address it, until you they they get to the heart of it, the crux of it is going to continue to be that way. And it's don't get me wrong. It's not just a Brett Brown issue or Brett Brown's problem. It's not just a Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons don't work problem. It's the whole organization has to take a look at itself and be like, we have not made the right decisions, both personnel, money-wise, and how are we going to rectify that? If they don't do that, then they will continue to get bound. There should be no reason, even with Ben Simmons hurt, Right. There should be no reason why a team with spreading that much money around and have that much. Oh, no. Spreading that much money around should be getting bounced. Now, yes, I understand Boston is a really good team. Don't get me wrong. Boston is a great team, but there should be no reason why they should be getting swept out of all swept. Now, even and the thing about it is, even if Ben Simmons was playing, I don't think they'd be swept. But I don't. I know they wouldn't win if Ben Simmons was still playing. No, I think they might at least get a game, maybe two. But they're not. They're not winning, and that's that's the problem. That's the situation at hand. So you know, that's Philly just needs to make some changes. So you know. And before we get to our interview, uh, the NBA lottery was last week. Um, as I'm not going to, in fact, hold on. I'm actually going to look, um, I'm actually going to look, uh, at the standings or at the draft order. Okay. So you have, I'm just going to go 10 through one. You have Phoenix at 10, Washington at nine, New York at eight, Pistons at seven, Atlanta at six, Cleveland at five, Bulls at four, Hornets at three, Warriors at two, and T or T Wolves at one. I think you know Anthony Edwards is more than likely going to be the f- number one overall pick. I get that, you know, I, I understand that's that's probably what's going to happen. And um, yeah, now the real question is, what is Golden State do at the second overall pick. I hear a lot of people saying they should trade it for like a Miles Turner. Definitely don't do that. If you're thinking about doing that, just pick up James Wiseman. I think James Wiseman is probably better than Miles Turner right now after what I saw in the Indiana series. People are talking about um, trading him for Joel Embiid. I would definitely consider that. Uh, I've been, I was saying that too. Like that might be something I do, seeing as Joel Embiid's skill set with all those shooters and Draymond to me would be really good. But if you're unsure, just draft. I mean, James Wiseman is the best big in the league, and you need a big. Like look at what Golden State needs. They need a big. You got a big, you know. So that's. I just feel bad for it. Uh, New York though. <laughs> New York always just keeps getting hold, man. But, you know, they got the eighth pick, so, hey. 
ah, that I don't. It's the, you know, the worst part about that is I, New York fans continuously think that they are, you know, they are going to, uh, they're going to get like the number one overall pick and year after year they get heartbroken. So it's, it's been, it's been tough, but without further ado, let's get to my interview. My guest is Dr. Kimberly, uh, Kutro, <laughs> Dr. Kimberly Kutro. She is, she's not only is she a sports therapist, she has credentials in Maryland to study law and practice. She has credentials in North Carolina. She has national credentials. She's a published artist, Arthur. She has done so much in not only the the world of therapy in the in the realm of law, but she has been she's entrenched when it comes to being around athletes and understanding athletes and listening to athletes. And she is the perfect person to talk to if you want to understand how athletes think and and what goes through athletes mind even though she doesn't play hell her son is a top ranked uh recruit in basketball so she's always around athletes and she's more than credentialed in you know clinical legal uh national you know it's it's just so she's she's she has the reason why i haven't gone over all her credentials because if i would we'd be sitting here for about 20 minutes and that's how good she is but again, I wanted to talk to somebody that is not only knowledgeable in sports, but she, you know, it can definitely understand in in areas that maybe somebody else like myself wouldn't exactly really understand. So, without further ado, let's let's listen to here. <laughs> without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Kimberly Kutro. Her one thing that is not really discussed in sports, I guess, is mental health. And one thing that she does is she does a really good job at, well, of course she's licensed for it, but she does a really good job at understanding why mental health is so important for athletes and why it is not talked about as much as it should be. So Dr. Why do you think that mental health, one, is so important for an athlete, and two, why do you think that it's not, if it's so important, why is it not discussed as much as it should be? Mental health and the concept of behavior health, it covers mental health aspects as well as substance use and intellectual and developmental disability. This topic is very important because it is a safe way to branching out to allow individuals to have a safe space to talk, a safe space to seek out help, and also a safe space for one to acknowledge his or her own mental health or substance use issue. It is very important because many individuals, not just athletes, but many professionals and many non-professionals uh, have factors related to mental health or substance use may experience symptomatics of it, but do not know how to get help, do not know who to confide in, and oftentimes will um, cover up aspects to compensate where they are having mental health symptomatics due to stigma, due to the fear of discriminatory factors, due to the fear of shame, as well as due to 
um, reluctance and rejections from others. So this topic is very important to let athletes as well as non-athletes understand the importance of getting help that is needed, realizing and recognizing what may have happened in the past or what may have happened currently can also impact one's whole physical body, whether it's mental health, physical health, emotional health, all things must be lined up for an individual to be at their highest potential, to provide the most quality, to be the most productive, as well as to be on the competitive edge, especially with athletes. So it recognizes, and not only just being able to pinpoint that something is going on with the individual, but to seek out help because many individuals are known for being told in the athletic world that you must be mentally tough, you must be mentally strong, you must have the mental agility. And for many athletes, when they fear that they do not have those and are told that they don't have those elements intact, that is sometimes where mental health can surface, substance use can surface and any underlying factors that one may have had as a child or even as an adult it starts to overspill. So that's why it's very important for athletes as well as non-athletes to seek needed help, to seek guidance, as well as to find that safety net, a space within themselves, as well as to confide or to seek out help. Why this is a topic that is not mentioned most? Because of the fear stigma, because of the fear of discriminatory, because of the shame, because of the embarrassment, no one is um, open to saying, I am on the, um, I am not playing because I have a mental health factor. Some are fearful to say that, but many athletes, they will open up to say, I am not playing because I have a physical injury. I'm on the injury reserve because I hurt my knee or because I hurt my hand. Although physical health as well as mental health are both really covered under HIPAA if an individual has a medical issue, that's the same thing as an individual releasing information about one's being on a injury reserve because of a specific physical element, but as well as mental health. There are many athletes, and as you can see in the media, where they lately would discuss um, being depressed or being suicidal or having ADHD or having depression, anxiety or PTSD, which there are several other diagnoses, but there are many reasons why individuals do not come forward because of the fact of bringing shame to one's family, bringing embarrassment to oneself. So but mental health is an excellent topic for athletes as well as non-athletes to know that there are services, to know it's very important to get help and to also to be able to recognize why one would not due to the stigma and other factors that comes with discussing a mental health illness or discussing a substance use. You know, you talk about stigma and you talk about, you talked about the persona that athletes are supposed to be, I guess, for lack of a better term, like built for tough. They're supposed to always be at their top of the game, both physically and mentally. So when you talk about when you put that together with stigma, what is, why is there such, I'm not going to say a negative stigma, but why is it that mental health is not as important to an organization or as important to a school per se, than it is, than physical health, in your opinion? In my opinion, I would say lately schools have, in all fairness, started looking at focusing on the mental health and substance use among its athletes. 
because it's a growing area that is causing a lot of tension, whether the athlete himself or herself are engaging into illegal activity or displaying certain behaviors on or off the court and or have engaged into things that are bringing attention to the teammates and or the coaches or the schools itself. So I believe that physical health has always been the front runner of athletes because they must have that physical agility. They must have that physical toughness as well as that competitiveness for the athlete to be able to want to play on a competitive level, to recognize, I get the attention from coaches to say, hey, I want this athlete to come play for me. And not only are they focusing on physical health, but some schools have now started to hire counselors and therapists to work at school because it's becoming a growing issue. Not that mental health just suddenly appeared within an athlete or within a non-athlete. Not that mental health just now surfaced in our society. Not that mental health just now started to approach into our culture. It's always been here, but because athletes are coming from various walks of the earth, various sectors, various dimensions with having physical and great physical agility, someone at some point is saying, hey, this individual also has something going on. And that something is what many individuals, coaches or staffing may not be able to recognize exactly what's going on with the individual. And sometimes it can be a mental health aspects. So I do believe now, since it is a growing area where our culture is starting to recognize that mental health is real, mm -hmm. substance abuse is real. And these are things that are impacting our athlete. And if we're going to focus on the physical health of our athlete, the physical, physical agility, we also need to look at the mental health. And so I believe it comes into a balancing act if the schools are looking for athletes who are physically equipped, they have done an excellent um, aspect by hiring counselors to also be able to be accessible to these athletes when they are experiencing challenging things, are unable to control symptomatics within themselves, but having that resource, but the barrier exists. Some schools have the resources, and although it is available to students, Many athletes and non-athletes are not seeking the needed help because of the stigma to the shame of being known for having a mental health factor, the shame and embarrassment from being um, outcast for many individuals to look at one to say something is going on. And because of the titles and the labels that have been associated over our course of time in history for those who have a mental health um, illness or substance abuse disorder. Yeah. Uh, many have been called very terms that I won't mention, but because of those specific terms that are very negative, they're very harsh, that some are bitter, some are hurtful, it causes the reluctance for one, even as an athlete, to come forward for help. And I encourage athletes to do so because it is a needed area. And plus, they are trained counselors to provide assistance, whether they are getting services on campus or whether they are getting it out of the community. And anytime one seeks assistance, mental health or substance use, the services that are provided is confidential. No one has access to it unless there are strict guidelines that are outside of the confidential um, components. So I heard you talk about school and 
of course I'm a I I was a college athlete and of course high school element you know I was an athlete in school and one thing that I learned quickly is that people learn differently people experience a school day differently people are faster learners people sometimes are more visual learners and I think that when you know when you talk to some teachers and you talk to some some I guess higher ups in school a lot of people think that athletes get a you know a preferred treatment because they, they might not have to do a lot of stuff that I guess regular college kids or regular campus kids do. But if you can speak on how, I think that, let me, let me say it like this. I think that athletes, not all of them, of course, I'm not talking about all of them, but I think athletes, some athletes are taught that you, your goal and your, you have to get to a certain spot as far as your goal, whatever you do is get to play the NFL or get to play in the NBA. And a lot of the, the other things as, as far as the learning how to deal with mental health, learning how to learn properly, learning how to, or learning your, lear your, your learning style. How do you feel mental health in athletes affects could affect their grades or could affect how they learn or could affect how they how they process things outside of the field or the basketball court or whatever sport they play in that's an excellent question that you're presenting like with non-athletes there are many individuals professionals where services are in place mm -hmm. and such as for athletes every individual learns different every individual are able to cope different every individual has the ability to know to a certain extent what are they able to tolerate and what they're not able to tolerate because we learn on different paths and because we are able to manage things differently sometimes some of us we are viewed as being abnormal once we start displaying behaviors that we are no longer in control of once we start showing things and reacting and responding to our environment because when you are playing as an athlete, although I am not an athlete um, at this present time, was in middle school uh, running track. However, knowing that the lifestyle of many athletes, of which I was gratefully to be exposed to through my husband who played professional basketball, being able to see the life of on the professional level, but also high school level with my own son, as well as being able to see it from some perspectives um, in colleges, knowing that individuals are taught as you said that your goal is to go from point a to b without any errors without any issues and making sure that you are successful that is one reason could be a primary reason why many athletes are reluctant to seek help because mm -hmm. of the pressure that comes on one to excel to achieve the highest point and if individuals find out that this individual has I mean, mental health or substance abuse issue, it can be viewed negatively. And that's something that may be inside of the minds of these athletes, athletes that have that perceptive that if someone finds out, I may ruin my chances of succeeding. And that's why when individuals are unable to control or cope with the symptomatics of their mental health or substance use, that's where you see a lot of factors where they're unable to control it 
they are unable to cope effectively, and that's when they go in a downward spiral, where their grade starts to decline, their mental health starts to decline, their physical health starts to decline because it works one in one. A physical health can alter your mental health. Your mental health can alter your physical health. And so it's very important because you, you learn at a different pace, you cope at a different pace, and that's why individuals are unable at some point to manage and handle all of the symptomatics that they were capable of doing so possibly at one point. But now they're in the spotlight. Now the tension is on them. Everyone is expecting them to excel to a certain extent, to compete on a certain level, to achieve specific goals. And all this has impacted that one um, athlete who may have had mental health factors before and or could have had what's called a late onset where an individual does not have any mental health symptomatics through the course of their younger years. But then as he or she grows, things can happen. Even to athletes who have had, as some may say, a perfect life, can encounter a mental health factor as something could happen to them, a car accident, or realizing that they are no longer as competitive, or realizing that they're not performing to the level of expectation. That can create factors of anxiety, factors of depression, depending upon how one is able to handle it. So achieving a goal, achieving the ultimate lifetime choices that individuals aspire to, whether it's NFL, NBA, or whatever the lane may be for that athlete, not being able to get to that point can cause a mental health factors within that individual because if he or she is unable to manage and unable to cope with various factors, it could trigger. But there are individuals who say, I'm mentally tough. I was told I have to have this mental agility to get to this point. And you still can achieve that by getting needed services, by getting the help that is needed, because sometimes individuals have to realize that taking care of oneself, even in the midst of stigma, even in the midst of the fear of embarrassment, may help him or her to be able to achieve to the highest potential. So reaching those goals, yes, puts a little stress on individuals. That's just like a regular job. It puts stress on individuals to be able to perform to be able to achieve to a certain level but knowing where to get help and knowing how to access it sometimes helps an individual to reach their goals successfully so how do how do we help how does like let's 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 how does a family help how do how i, I feel mental health starts of course in the mental but starts at home if, if it's not addressed at home I don't know how it can effectively be addressed outside the home. So inside the home, what can a family member do? What can the athlete do to address something like that so they can be more equipped in, I guess, attacking the workday or attacking the field or attacking the court? Like how can, what, what needs to be done at home before anything can be done outside the home? That is an excellent question. And actually it's a twofold question. One, when you look at athletes, some come from a home where there is mental illness and or substance use. Then you have the athlete that does not come from a home where there's the presence of a mental illness or substance use. And one may ask, well, where did it come from in this person, in this athlete? Sometimes things are hereditary. Some things are genetically. Some things are in the environment that causes various factors. 
but to first look at the family with a mental health illness and or substance use that impacts their athlete. If a family in most cases already have a mental health factor, some may be reluctant to get help and some may get help. And that child, the athlete learns from parents, which is called observational learning, social learning, where they will cope with mental health the way that they have seen their mother, their father, their aunt, their uncle, or any relatives within their families have coped with mental health, whether they have tried to self-care for themselves or whether they have sought out for services. But the family with mental health issues and or substance use factors need to first assist the child to recognize that you need to be aware of these symptomatics. You need to be acknowledgeable of this is what's going on with mama or this is what's happening with daddy. And if you experience these things, this is what you need to do. Creating an environment of comfort for that athlete so that athlete will not be ashamed to seek treatment. So that athlete will be aware of this is a mental illness that has stringed along within my own family and I need to get screened. I need to get help. So I will encourage families who do have a history of mental illness or substance abuse to be able to encourage that athlete to get help to be able to talk with someone who is trained to do so. But in many cultures, some cultures are reluctant to go to get help. Some cultures look at seeking help outside of the family is a no-no in a sense, a taboo, something that should not be done. Whereas some will be more inclined to talk with a grandmother or a grandparent or the eldest male in the family about what he or she is going through. But oftentimes, as we have seen that sometimes, and it's not to minimize those efforts, but oftentimes having a trained licensed individual to be able to assess and help that family as well as the athlete, it comes in a bundle where if the athlete is getting help, many therapists and clinicians, they want to have what is called family support. We're not only providing treatment to the athlete, him or herself, but also to family support as well as natural support can be free as they may want to accompany that, that athlete to um, a session, or it can be a spouse or a significant other, so having that natural support. So in a family with um, mental health or substance use factors, it is very encouraging for the whole family to seek help because it helps that athlete to recognize that this is something that we all need to do. This is something that I am not alone and that this is something that my family needs. But in the event that the entire family, not saying the cousins, the relatives and everyone, but the closeness to, and it may be beneficial to do so, but those who are close that is living with the athlete to provide that space that's comforting, to provide that space that's encouraging, to get the help and to recognize that nobody is perfect, that even athletes may go through things. So having that support. On the other hand, a family with no mental illness, no substance use history, we, in my line of work, I have found that to be very challenging for such families and athletes in which at my agency, I have a support group for athletes who are experiencing symptoms and are diagnosed with depression. And with that said, I find that for many individuals with no history of mental illness in the family or substance abuse, they find it very difficult to accept that my child has this issue. My family member is going through this. Where did this come from? 
and oftentimes want to miscategorize it or classify it as this person is just acting out. This person is just having behavior problems. This person is just trying to get attention, which we call attention-seeking behavior. So with such families and athletes, it's very important to educate individuals about what is mental illness, what is substance use. And not only just the families who have no history of mental illness and substance use do, is it important to educate, but also the families that do have a history of such. But either with or without the families with a substance use or a mental health illness, it's very important to create that open space for the athlete to say, mom or dad, there's something going on with me. To create that supporting environment, that loving environment, one where the athlete would say, I need to get help and not try to cover it up because not getting help oftentimes as you see in the media oftentimes as you may read about stories how individuals had a mental health or substance use factor then it overspills into other lanes in their lives whether it's their academics whether they're interpersonal relationships whether the family relationships whether it's their with their teammates whether it's with their coaches whether it's within their faith walk religious belief whether it's in their pure interactions because it's like a boiling pot. Once you are boiling to a certain extent, meaning once you are unable to manage or cope with symptomatics or factors or issues or circumstances that are current in the family or within their lives or within external factors, it overspills. And when it overspills, that's when we start recognizing there's something going on with this athlete. But not knowing that, those symptomatics have been there all along, but it's only after when many individuals start to display to a certain magnitude or engage into legal activity or performance or grades decline, then that's when family members are saying, what's going on with you? That's or either friends are saying, what's going on? So I will end by saying it needs to be an atmosphere within the home. That's where it needs to start, where the child or athlete is able to say, I feel such an, I feel something different. I recognize that something is going on with me, mom, dad, or family member, or whomever, I need some help. Or, and they may not know that what's acting up or what's different with them or what's changing within them, but family members should be the first one to recognize. And if family members are unable to recognize it, school officials are um, equipped to be able to recognize certain aspects within a child. For example, when kids go to school and when teachers start noticing that the academics are declining, they recommend for various in individuals, athletes or non, an IEP or a 504 plan or a behavior plan because they recognize that this individual is having an academic decline. Okay. Well, also schools are also equipped with recognizing and communicating with families I realize that there may be some type of emotional imbalance or some mental health factors going on with your child, whether it's an athlete or not. And maybe you need to have them to see a specialist or a therapist or a psychiatrist, and many schools have that in place. But yes, it starts in the home. It should start in the home where that athlete is given that support and that environment to be able to talk. Okay. Um, well... I do, I do, I do like that. I, I do feel, and I agree with that. I feel that sometimes, or a lot of the times, the best way to get to somebody into, or the best person to get to somebody and to address things to the person that's the closest to you, which for a lot of people are the 
are the people at home. Um, let's let me let me kind of diverge a little bit from the mental health and talk about as an af. Well, all right. So as a therapist and and someone that deals with athletes, how important do you think it is for them to know the ins and outs of their contract? Because if you see a lot of athletes, you see. Um, they'll have a businessman or they'll have a lawyer and the lawyer knows everything, but the athlete doesn't know much. How do you feel? Do you feel that one, it's important for the athlete to know the ins and outs of their own contract? And two, if you do feel it's important, why do you think that athletes don't take the time to, to learn their own contract? This is a, an excellent question that you are asking. Uh, I believe it is extremely important for an athlete to know the components of his or her contract. As you are aware, not only am I a PhD level clinician, I'm also a licensed attorney. And with that said, knowing with the concepts of a contract, a contract is a legal document that binds all parties. And when athletes do not read their contract, some are unaware of what is required for them. Most individuals, they see a contract as a moment of excitement, a moment of I have achieved, a moment of great accomplishment. And when a contract, especially when it is much money that is offered, some individuals, and I, in all fairness, can't say all athletes, mm -hmm. they look at the greatest accomplishment. I have this contract. I have hired individuals to be in place to read the contract, to let me know what is in the contract, and which is good, just like with a job. Individuals are employed to do a specific task and to do the task to the extreme, to the ability of what they can. However, it's very important for an athlete to know his or her contract. So the way that it gives them a sense of self-independence, of knowing what they, he or she can do a self-regulation of I cannot be on the highway, for example, riding my motorcycle or I cannot have access to a motorcycle. These are things that I am aware that are in some athletes' contracts. I cannot go bungee jumping. I cannot do anything that is going to create a high level of risk factor that is going to contribute to a physical impact or injury that would inability to allow me to play. However, with that said, contracts are very important for an athlete to read and to understand. But as we mentioned earlier, all athletes and non-athletes all come from different walks of earth. Knowing the level of ability to read is a very important concept in life. Um, as we mentioned earlier, that individuals learn at different pace, learn at different levels, and understand there's a difference in reading and a difference in comprehending. And I always tell individuals, you must read your contracts. You must understand what your contract is because that's what leads us back to our topic, mental health. After an athlete or even a non-athlete has a contract and everything is going so well, but here comes the moment where I am told that I have violated the terms of my contract. Mm -hmm. And it's because I have failed to understand all concepts in my contract or someone didn't let me know or I didn't read it effectively or I did not research the areas because I was embarrassed to tell someone I can't read to a certain level or I don't understand materials to a certain level. That is where sometimes mental health 
starts to impact an individual or spirals out of control because now here comes symptomatics of depression because now I'm in violation. I may not be able to keep my contract. I may not continue to be a player. I may not be able to have all of the attention that I have desired and have achieved in my life. Now here's the anxiety. Now some experience suicidal ideation and some goes through with it. So I believe it's very important for athletes to read and to understand, to comprehend a contract so that way he or she are more prepared to understand what it is they can do, cannot do, the gray areas in a contract, what it is and who to seek out help to. Because when the confusion comes, then here comes other factors because after an individual has achieved such great accomplishments, a contract is one of the greatest achievements for many athletes to be able to have that crown to say, I have achieved, I have gotten my goal, and here I am on the professional level, if that is what he or she aspires to do. But that comes with understanding that contract. So it's very important that yes, they may be able to hire individuals to read the contract, to understand it, but I highly encourage every athlete to take that contract, to read it him or herself, mark it up, write side notes on it. If they understand a section, if they don't understand a section, get someone to explain in layman's term or in a manner in which that athlete understands it. And that's not to say or minimize the intellect of any athlete, but because everyone learns on different levels and different pace, there may be terms in a contract, legal terms, that I, of course, as a licensed attorney, will understand versus an individual, whether athlete or non-athlete, may not because it is the legal terminologies. And there's nothing wrong with an individual to ask questions about a contract, to write on the contract, explain this to me. Can this be written in a way that I understand this? Because some contracts um, are created, as we know as attorneys, can be in a scope of what's called a boilerplate, where there are certain terms that we use that um, coincide with certain events or certain factors, which is effective, but we also recognize as well that information needs to be explained to athletes and non-athletes what contract terminology is because it is the contract that makes or break an individual. It is the contract that sets out the rules. It is the contract that dictates the success of an individual's ability to be able to continue to play or not. And that's what mental health comes in when they are unable to do any of those elements that I just mentioned. And then here we go with an individual who says, I am unable to cope with this. Then we start seeing factors, whether it's engaging into DUIs and all other factors, our mental health factors. And your second component was, why is it important? It's important for an athlete to know the contract so that way when challenges comes, so that way he or she can determine whether he or she is in compliance or out of compliance with the contract. Because with a contract that is written, it's on the four corners of a piece of paper. And that is what the athlete is required to adhere to. When you sign, you are signing agreeing that I am going to comply with every single word on this paper, every single sentence on these pages, every single letter that is on these pages. So an individual will not have the room in some aspects to say, oh, I was compliance 90% of the time. 
whereas the contracts expect you to adhere because it is a legal binding document. It's a contract that can be used in which oftentimes if a situation arises in court. But athletes, it's very important to, for them to understand the contracts, understand the regulations that governs that contract, to know what he or she can do. And if he or she is unable to understand certain terminology, to ask questions before signing. Okay. And before I let you go, I do have this question. Now, of course, as you know, the world is going through something that we've never seen before, you know, COVID-19, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. This pandemic has affected not only the way that we live, but the way that we see life, of course, the way that we see sports, of course, sports. There's some sports that are in the bubble or that's in a bubble. There's some sports that they're not sure if they're going to continue until the spring. How do you feel this virus is one affecting athletes, especially athletes that, okay, so as an athlete, a lot of people may or may not know, athletes have routines. Uh, you know, you have a routine of what you do every day, what you eat every day, how you work out every day, you know, the the time in which you want to get your body right for uh, an upcoming season or for training camp. Seeing as though there's a lot of unknowns as how are we going to have a season? How are we going to have a, a season with or without fans? How are we going to have a season um, and, and try to be as healthy as possible with this virus going on? How do you feel that this virus could affect an athlete's uh, mental health or could affect uh, an athlete's, I guess, thinking and how do you feel an athlete can best cope with what's going on right now? Especially like you look at college athletes, college football, how a lot of conferences are trying to, are, are not even having a season until September, um, which kind of affects people's draft stock. You see the NFL athletes don't know how healthy it's going to be or how, how safe it's going to be. So how do you, how do you feel this virus is affecting athletes mental health and how do you feel they can they can cope a lot easier with with what's going on these are two very important questions the first how do i feel that the coronavirus uh, COVID 19 is impacting athletes um, even as non-athletes this virus is COVID 19 is impacting everyone from a mental physical and all factors emotional spiritually as well as the well-being for many individuals in terms of athletes this is a very growing concern for many athletes because some athletes have learned to use sports as a way to cope with their mental health, as a way to manage their stresses, as a way to deal with the environment that's surrounding them. Many athletes as well as non-athletes during this time and have the ability to have resources in place, um, counseling, therapy, and various resources. But when it comes to athletes and having these such uncertainties, not knowing whether they're going to be able to play, not knowing whether they're going to have their routine or to be able to interact with others, to be able to talk with others, having such an isolation, some many individuals will end up experiencing more symptomatics. And that's why you see in the media where they're advertising free services, 1-800 numbers, throughout the whole United States and other countries as well, where resources are being provided to address questions where individuals can call in to a hotline to talk with someone, especially for athletes who have used 
peer interaction as a way of coping with life, as a way in socializing, because for some who have may have worked very hard with managing their anxiety, but have learned to interact with others, now are forced in a sense to go into an isolation to separate, to distance themselves from others, that can trigger or harvest more symptomatics for those of us who have been able to be on a competitive edge and use uh, working out as a means to cope, as a means to uh, manage the stress, as a means to deal with not being burned out to a certain extent. Some like to work out, some like to go to the gym, some like to be able to walk and do various factors. Being limited now in scope as far as having a routine, not knowing whether you're gonna play and knowing that these things are what you have used as factors to help you manage your mental health illness or your substance use illness, whether there was aspects of drinking and engaging to um, alcohol. Now individuals are saying, I have no other, and I wanna say some, not all individuals, I have no outlet. This coronavirus, COVID-19 is now putting barriers around athletes because, and not just athletes, non-athletes, but with athletes knowing that I may not be able to play my season this year. So how am I gonna be able to manage my stress when I utilize working out as a means to manage my stress? I may not be able to cope effectively like I have successfully been able to do for so many years while I was playing. So it puts a lot of um, bearings on the athlete's um, mental health because there was used, sports are used, like I said before, as an outlet, as a strategy to cope. And not saying that sports is the only mechanism for an individual to be able to deal with um, how to manage their mental health, but to know that now the individual not only um, have to worry about their mental health factors, but also COVID-19. COVID-19 can create depression in some individuals, can create anxiety in some individuals, can even create PTSD. The fear of contracting this virus, the fear of being around people, what can cause individuals to go into a social withdrawal, social isolation, can create anxiety because of the lack of knowing how individuals can potentially all the ways have been exposed. So an athlete is in, in a sense in a predicament because they have worked themselves up to the extent where they're working on the fields, working on the courts, though it is a full-time job. Now they're told they're not able to work. Now they're all told, I cannot do this, I cannot do that, I have these limits, and I may not be able to work. I may not be able to play the sport that I love. I may not be able to work out. So these things are very important. I see that the COVID-19 are impacting a lot of decision-making factors because whether the season is going to start, whether the season is not going to start, whether the athletes will be able to interact with one another, the fear. So it's a two-fall situation. Athletes, if they are able to play together and practice together, the fear, am I gonna contract COVID-19? That alone can create some mental health factors. Or the fear of not being able to play at all can also trigger various factors. So I do think at this present time that it is impacting the sports, it is impacting the life of athletes, it also is impacting their whole physical being because decisions are being made which is impacting them and some of these decisions could have been the way that individuals were learned 
to cope with what they're going through. And some of the decisions are healthy decisions like social distancing. But for that individual athlete that has had a history of mental health illness that has relied on not isolating, not distancing themselves from individual and not secluding themselves, now have to be faced with an alternative way to learn how to further understand their own mental health, how to reevaluate what's going on with oneself. Okay. Your second component was how does one cope? And for some instance, it may be difficult for some, and some it may be a situation where they say, I will be able to manage this. It all depends on the individual, him or herself, how they perceive how this COVID-19 is impacting how they perceive how it is interfering with their ability to play sports, how they are, you know, internalizing all of these things. I can't be with my teammates. I can't play sports. I can't get that desired attention that I have always craved, or I cannot play on this competitive edge. And it leads one to start wondering, how am I going to cope if I cannot be physically equipped to keep myself in shape? So that way that I can perform to a certain level as I get ready to go on the field or as we get ready to return back to the sense of normalcy beyond this COVID-19. All of that impacts an individual's mental health. All of that can also impact an individual's willingness or engagement into substance use because the ability to cope is very helpful. It is a healthy strategy. All of us, we have our own internal mechanism, how we cope what we deal with, what we can tolerate, how far we need to go, what we can manage. But when you have something that screens onto you that is outside of your control, meaning COVID-19 has come suddenly impacted, it's causing individuals, forcing them to change, to alter the way they're doing things. But some people are not adapt to changing quickly and swiftly as we have had to do, or to make changes over a gradual time are to make multiple changes. So we have to look at the individual because there are some athletes who can make multiple changes at one time versus the individual athlete who is unable to make one change at a time. Okay. Well, I do, I think this, this conversation is important. This conversation was important. I think it's important. It was important because like you stated and like it's been stated time and time again, it's not talked about as much with the seriousness as much as it should be talked about, especially when, like you said, and like it's been said before, when you think of an athlete, you think they have to be at their top physical shape to perform, which is true, but it's gonna, it's kind of hard performing if you're not at your top mental shape as well. So I do think that this was a very important conversation. I do appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight. I appreciate what you're doing for athletes. Cause like I said, a lot of people don't know how to address this, don't know how to attack it and don't know how to uh, talk about it with the light, with the lightness that it needs. So I do appreciate your time. I do appreciate uh, what you're doing. And I thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and it is the desired outcome that athletes and non-athletes will attain the necessary help if he or she feels that mental health or substance use is an area of concern in one's life. There are many resources within the colleges, as well as high school resources, middle school, elementary, as well as in the community. 
and encouraging individuals to seek out needed help. So there you have it. I want to thank Dr. Kimberly Kutrell again for coming on, for for giving that very giving information that is very important. Um, I'll leave her. I'll leave her information in the description below if you're if you're an athlete or somebody just wants to talk with her one on one. She definitely is available. Again, I thank you for that. And before we go, I want to just shout out Eric Moses for being the black, the first black track president in NASCAR history. I think that what NASCAR has been doing, you know, we all know NASCAR is deep rooted in Confederacy. You know, they've had they used to wave the Confederate flag heavy. And, you know, with that, with them doing away with that, we know about the Bubba Wallace incident with the noose. You know, they've they've had some stumbles along the way, but they've been incredible with the whole uh, equality movement. And I want to thank them for and I, I want to shout them out and definitely shout out Eric Moses for integrating into a sport that isn't the easiest to, of course, penetrate being the first black track president in NASCAR history. NASCAR has been here for years and years and years. So, again. I want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being here. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys to death. Uh, and until next time, much love. Too many changes, you change from your greatness Become a byproduct of yourself All for the paper regardless The market see you as an old ass artist The McCartney's live past the Lennons But Lennon's the hardest Stay on your path, stay on your craft They just want you to switch your lanes up So they can hate on your ass What's in the name, what's in the name Suffering and pain, guts, blood and tears Aim straight, game face, king's grace I came in as thinking you was gonna be this great thing Cause I seen the greats do it With a great queen What these kings have in common They had women who solid Malcolm needed Betty I met some queens who wasn't ready they envy the unhappiness of the greats They don't have a fulfilled life yet So they searching for ways to fill what Sam felt Play the hand Marvin was dealt A Vandross Here's the cure, the antidote A thousand milligrams, make sure you don't overdose Turn to a businessman Used to serve him in a cold, cold game Don't get exposed, stories get told You glamorize the game, it ain't a glorious role Rest in peace, Kobe and Nip That's off the rip, king shit If it ain't about fam, it don't mean shit the cure, love other your law. Don't it's right in the phone tap, tapping in with law. Roll the credits. Cuban link, QB chain, belong in the MoMA. Saboomba rang, you salute my 27 summers. Rolls Royce Brigade, just cause it go with the moment. Pot saw the chain, got his medallion, I want it Send your weight imitation, cause I copy the stomach Kings on the kings, straight from my pot to my sunshine Steak tartar, bloody, mercury levels from raw fish Sushi for lunch, waiter at the table, the cork twist I'm studied like a book by many They give me looks of envy, I took the Bentley White chick like Liz Taylor, might get the Bentayga On my Rick James behavior Life is school for the soul, and I'm in life seven already. Life simple but heavy, incomprehensible shit. Everything from sexy to deadly. I done been through that shit. Still going deeper, like I grew a new inch on my dick. We looked at Robin as a way of resolving our problems. My mom's cooked food, but some of my niggas was starving, and whatever they was down to do, I was with them regardless. Turns out I was hungry and was hitting the hardest. 
Decisions was sharper, my predictions was on it No fortune teller, just going off regular signs Niggas often tell you they moves Without a word, just reading they mind Wasn't needing no nine Corner executive, born in ghetto hell Where metal yell, especially over necklaces Life lessons is karma Whatever you dish out, come back as blessings or to haunt you Commission kids and hit your grandkids for your dishonor That's generational curses They said they want the old knives back Play the clue tapes for old verses Messing my homies' lives up, saying knives to rise them up Like they wasn't live enough Many lives I've touched, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? I need a witness Drinking three at night on some bridge shit Wearing shorts and Tim's summer night on some bridge shit Party with gangsters getting right on some bridge shit Like MC Shan and Marley, y'all be on some bridge shit Yeah Like Jabari, I'm on some bridge shit Shooter live on Kings live forever Yeah We go through a lot And nobody wanna hear about what we go through And that's cool too. Every man go through the same Mondays and Fridays, same sun, moon, and stars. It's just how you stand like a man.